Gerritsen and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. It is Friday and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We are one day away from the Chiefs and Dolphins, who will kick off at Arrowhead Stadium tomorrow night in sub-zero temperatures. Now it is looking like kickoff will have a wind chill of negative 24. Good luck, buddy. Yeah, as we, we figured out yesterday, I will be going, and I will be having a full report, win or lose, what that temperature is going to be like. I'll tell you what I did. I turned down a sweet ticket to this game. <laughs> my butt and my cousin said, hey, before you say no, mm-hmm. would you like, I have an extra ticket to the Chiefs game Saturday, and it's a sweet ticket, and I got primo parking, and I was still, no. Nope. nope. We'll do it. Yeah, I want, the walk from the car to the stadium. That's true. I've also, <laughs> I, I've sat in those suite seats before. Like, they have those those seats available, like, outside yeah. the suite, right? You can go and sit down yeah, there. On and the inside the windows. If you are sitting inside, the view's not that great. Yeah, you, you can't, can't see anything. Yeah. So you have to go outside right. because to see you, it. If you're in the suite, you're, you're really just watching the TV. You are. And it's delayed right. because it's got to be like a second or two behind yeah. or whatnot. So it's kind of pointless at, at that moment to just sit inside the whole time. I'm going to go to a suite and watch the game on a TV? I don't, I, I, no. no, might as well just stay at home. I'm too old for that stuff, man. You don't have to wait in parking. As you said, the walk into the stadium. The, the thing that I am going to be contemplating is... I gotta pick the right time to go into the stadium, so I'm not waiting in line to just stand out there. I, I guess it'll be warmer because you have a bunch of people all sure. surrounding each other. But then once you get inside, point of no return. I actually got this question. It sounds morbid at first, but like if somebody underdresses for this game, that's like life threatening. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, if you it's, underdress, it's, now that's yeah. your fault yes. if you underdress. But I didn't even think about that, like. It takes a long it's time. Dangerous. It's very dangerous. Like <laughs> we, the Chiefs are sending out emails and they're like, "Do not have exposed skin for this game because frostbite could be could be an issue." That's how cold it's going to be. But I thought about it, man. I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of drinking in the parking lot. Uh, people have to find a way to stay warm, but also stay smart and stay safe because nothing. Life-threatening is worth a three-hour football game. Now, I've already made my decision, right? You're going to a football game in these temperatures. You have to stay warm. You cannot underdress. I, I Very few times in my life have I worn two sweatshirts. I mean, like, it's just, I'm too puffy then. I can't move. But this is a game I'll probably consider that. Two sweatshirts, a coat. Long johns. Long johns. Yeah, wool socks. Wool socks, two wool yeah, socks, probably. A couple. Boots, feet warmers, hand warmers. I mean, you're, you're prepping for like a cold ski day. War, like I, Worse, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in some cold temperatures up on the mountain when you're like way, way up there, like at the end of the day, like 3 or 4 o'clock, and it's bitterly cold. I don't know, but it, we talked about this though yesterday, Jake. You're moving when you're, yeah, when you're, you're skiing, skiing or snowboarding. You're right. constantly yeah. moving, which keeps you warm. 
if this game get, hits a lull, right, nobody's scoring, and you're just kind of standing there and, and sitting down every once in a while in the cold plastic seats, you got to be prepared. Here's something that no one, I haven't heard anybody really talking about is you talk, we've talked about the fans like mm-hmm. we're doing now. Yep. We've talked about the players. Yes. Right? They have those heated benches and the big giant the, jet The heaters. jet engine. Yeah. yeah. What about the referees? What about the freaking referees? I hadn't even thought about that yet, actually. It's not like they can even put, like, they're not wearing parkas out there. You will have probably every single official in the turtleneck and the the full face mask covering. But you can only wear so much. You can't wear coats. So they're going to have to wear. I've had one of these before when I was snowboarding. It's like a heated vest. Yeah. They're really good. Like, it's it's honestly, there's no battery. It's just your body heat generates yeah. the heat and keeps it. I'd put on two if I was an official. Like, I, I cannot imagine being an official in tomorrow's game. Now, also, I can't imagine being an offensive lineman. I know you said we've already talked about players, but linemen typically don't wear sleeves, at least the interior guys. I would be shocked if both sides had multiple offensive linemen wearing sleeves. Like, I think Donovan Smith for the Chiefs wears sleeves. Jawan Taylor wears sleeves. I don't think I've ever seen Joe Tooney wear sleeves. I've never seen Trey Smith wear sleeves. Never seen Creed Humphrey wear sleeves. Maybe tomorrow is the game that changes all of that because they'll say, hey, listen, this is a, a frostbite situation. You've got to wear sleeves. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to be in full sleeves. Kelsey is going to be in full sleeves. Everybody it really does feel like is going to have to be extra bundled up because we've never seen a game like this at Arrowhead. Never, ever, ever. It's been somewhat close. I mean, the Lynn Elliott game comes to mind. That was a very cold, but not like this. I mean, I think the difference for tomorrow night's game is that it's like 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. You know, it's one thing to sit out there in just cold weather. I call it sitting cold, where it's just you, you feel how cold it is on the air, but it's not... It's quiet, and of course the the stadium's going to be loud. But like when you go outside on a Sunday morning and it's January, February, it's like damn, it was negative five. Like it's freezing. I'm not trying to say it's not, but when you add wind into it, it's unbearable. It's unbearable if you're not prepared. And you know what? There's going to be some psycho in the stands tomorrow that's not wearing a t-shirt. That'll be having skin exposed. Hopefully not for long. But I have seen fans act that crazy before. And when it's like snowing, like a an absolute pouring down effect of snow, I've seen people with their shirts off. And I don't know why you'd want to do that, because I don't even think alcohol solves the, the, the freezing temperatures there. Having your skin exposed in a game like this is just foolish, stupid, and life-threatening, to be honest. That's the closer we've gotten to this game, Jake, the more I have really come to grips with the fact that this really isn't just like a cool thing. Like it, obviously, that's kind of a funny pun to use there. Right. But it's like I talked about back on Wednesday. It's like I want to be able to look back five years from now and say I was at one of the coldest games in NFL history. But it's not just like the, the element. I don't think I am processing right now just how cold it's going to be. Like this morning, had to go outside, scrape off my car. Now, I was not bundled up head to toe. I bought some sweatpants and, and a crew neck just because I was trying to rush it and, you know, chop all the ice off my car. But even then, it was 14 degrees, and the wind chill was negative, too. And I was like, add 20 less degrees to this. That's what it's going to be tomorrow night.
And I was cold. Like, I I was not bundled up properly, but I was like, I've never been in temperatures like that before. Like, that's actual, like, mountain range and I don't even know. The Alps, I would say, the, the Rockies and the most coldest temperature of all time, Antarctica-type weather. Like, this is going to be an absurd atmosphere, not just for the people in the stadium. I mean, just all around weather, every condition you can imagine. I am I am just absolutely feeling for the players in this situation because tackling another human being in this weather can't be fun. Tackling Isaiah Pacheco cannot be fun in I mean, this game. Think about the kickers. It's going to be like kicking, kicking a, brick. a brick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> good luck. And did you see the expected temperatures for Buffalo and Pittsburgh? I have not. I just saw this pop up today, and this was from, uh, I can't remember who reported it. Uh, well, actually, it's the Winter Storm Watch in Buffalo from the National Weather Service. There will be 65-mile-an-hour wind gust and over a foot of snow for the Bills and Steelers. Now that makes me kind of change my opinion of who wins this football game. I don't think Pittsburgh wins, but remember that spread is 10 points in favor of Buffalo. Does weather like that make you change your mind here? I mean, let's actually see if Vegas has has dipped that number just a little bit because I'm now very curious. If there's a foot of snow and 65-mile-an-hour wind gusts, nobody's going to score. It's going to come down to who fumbles the ball with their backs up against the goal line. It's still 10 points in favor of Buffalo. But things can always change. Um, That could really favor Pittsburgh because they don't need to throw the football then. They don't need to expose Mason Rudolph. Buffalo, as we know, likes to throw the football at Josh Allen. Now, they do have a really good running game. No, they've got a very effective ground attack with James Cook and uh, Josh Allen running the football. But all around uh, this wild card weekend, there's bad weather in the colder states. You know, Kansas City's going to have record-breaking cold temperatures. It seems like Pittsburgh and Buffalo are going to get a foot of snow and 65-mile-an-hour wind gusts. It just so happens that every other game is either in a dome or in Florida. So Houston's in a dome. Then you're going to have Dallas playing in a dome. Detroit, probably going to be freezing this weekend, but we know Ford Field's in a dome. And then Tampa gets to host uh, Philadelphia. And the kickoff temperature for that game, just now pulling it up on the fly, high of 70, low of 63. That's Tampa, Florida on Monday night when the Bucks will host the Eagles. Sounds lovely. I think everybody <laughs> on Saturday night is going to be wishing they lived in the Sunshine State. Maybe not. Maybe you're a cold weather guy, but hard to turn down 70 degrees for a playoff football game. I mean... The fact that Buffalo and Kansas City, and I haven't looked ahead in Buffalo, but, and actually I'm going to do that right now, because let's just play the odds here. Well, let's just go, let's go scratch here with the first round of the playoffs. So let's say Kansas City wins tomorrow night. Let's say on Sunday that Buffalo takes care of business against uh, Pittsburgh. Buffalo would then host Kansas City. Oh, my Lord. Next Saturday or Sunday, because that's when the game would be, right? I don't think they would play a divisional game on a Monday. No. They're so, just, they're just divisionals just Saturday and Sunday. Saturday in Buffalo, 
would be a high of 18, a low of 11, with the little wind icon on the weather app. So I'd imagine wind gusts are not going to be very pleasant. If they play on Sunday, hey, it's partly cloudy, high of 24, low of 12. So Kansas City, if they are to make it to the Super Bowl, is not going to be in a favorable environment ever. They're either going to be playing in Kansas City or they're going to be going to Buffalo or they're going to be going to Baltimore. There's no in-between, right? There is no in-between unless, and this is the only way, unless it would be Houston beating Cleveland and then beating Baltimore. Actually, no, even then, they couldn't go to Houston. That's right, because Houston's a lower seed. So there's no good weather game they're going to get. The only good weather game they would get is if they make the Super Bowl and go play in Las Vegas. But they are going to have some bitterly cold temperatures. And now I think that brings up a great segment, Jake, because this team all season long has won off their defense. All right? And now the path to the Super Bowl involves playing in very cold temperatures. Uh, That happens a lot in the postseason, but this feels like a unique circumstance here. Saturday night, negative 30 wind chill. You move on to Buffalo next week, that would be likely a game in the teens with severe wind gusts. If Kansas City somehow were to host a Cleveland or Houston next week because Pittsburgh were to beat Buffalo and go on to Baltimore, well, next Saturday... And Sunday in Kansas City, the low is 4 on Saturday. The low is 14 on Sunday. Cold weather in Kansas City. Baltimore, I can't look two weeks ahead there, but I'd imagine Baltimore is not going to be having sunshine and rainbows up there. It's probably going to be very nasty over there on the East Coast because Baltimore uh, notoriously has been such a cold place to go and play when January rolls rolls around. Like next Saturday, when they're going to be hosting likely a Cleveland or Houston, the Ravens have a temperature of 21 degrees, low of 10 Sunday, high of 28, low of 11. It just feels a lot different. And I think that's so interesting on the AFC side because in all honesty, that favors a team like Kansas City a little bit. Really good defense. They've got a great running back in Isaiah Pacheco, and I think it takes a little bit of pressure off Patrick Mahomes. I think for Saturday night, there's a little bit of pressure taken off Patrick Mahomes. Use the running game, use the defense, and play to this weather. Not every team, as we've seen with Miami, likes the cold weather. Buffalo is a cold-weather football team, but I do think in years past, and even this year, for Buffalo to beat Kansas City, it's not just running the football on them. Josh Allen's going to have to throw it, and if the wind gusts are in the 30s and 40s and 50s, makes it a lot more difficult. I mean, remember that game two years ago where Buffalo uh, took on New England, I think it was, and they had a name for it. It was like an Arctic Blast type of game, and the wind gusts were in the 60s, and Mac Jones threw the ball like four times, and New England won. That's because Josh Allen couldn't really air it out. Because the wind was swirling and, you know, pretty much changing the direction of every single pass that he threw. Uh, This has, I guess, changed my mentality a little bit. Now, it could all come crashing down. They lose tomorrow night. We're not even discussing this on Monday. But the fact it's going to be so bitterly cold wherever Kansas City goes to, 
And they got to first get past Miami. But the fact it's going to be freezing the rest of the way, that might play to their advantage. It really might. And that's going to be interesting to follow. Jake, any lasting thoughts on Chiefs and Dolphins or just the wild card weekend before we hit our first break of the show? No, I mean, I I, I love the under on this game. I don't think I, I would be shocked if I saw a blowout either way. Um, I, just, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I, I Watching the Dolphins as much as I have this year, they are a team that gets out ahead early. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what they did against the Bills. Yeah. You know, look where they, they that game they got curb stomped by the Ravens. They were up early. They, were. they scored on their opening <laughs> drive. So I think you know you, this team is a team that that scores early, and the Chiefs seem to be a team that has given up scores early. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I I think that I would not be shocked if if the Dolphins went out, scored on their opening drive, you know, and and then. Maybe the Chiefs' next two or three drives, they settle for a field goal and a punt, and it's you know it's that way you know seven six after the first quarter or something. Yeah. You know, I expect this game to be low scoring. The over under is forty three and a half. Uh, the line has moved up to minus five. I saw earlier this morning, um, which it opened at three and a half means money's trending on the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Not too surprising, but I mean, I, I, I. When you're talking about weather to the extremes that we just were, it's, it's hard to think that it won't have some kind of, of effect. And, you know, I think the Dolphins, with, with you know, most are being banged up, but that's going to be an interesting watch. You know, they have H. Chan, who's – I, I enjoy – that guy yeah. is an exciting he's player. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's got the Tyreek Hill level speed. I think mm-hmm. him and Tyreek are the two fastest players with the balls in their hand – this this season, um, on, on p- plays, I believe the top five plays speed wise, they all, they between those two yeah. had all the top five. Um, so I mean, it, it's going to be a fascinating game to watch. I, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I like I said, I don't think there's any way. You know, I, I think keys for the Chiefs are, you know, you look at their turnover differential on the season. It, it's you know tied for third worst in the NFL. Uh, and for as good as that defense has been, they don't turn teens over. And, you know, that's say, so what, what it's saying is when you have a top five defense scoring in yards wise and, and you turn the ball over that much and haven't taken away, is that that team doesn't break. Yeah. We've seen that. Like they might give up some early scores, but they'll just stop you. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see what the Dolphins settle for. You know, we saw them. It, you know, Collinsworth talked about it a lot on the Sunday night football game against the Bills. A lot of the the, the pitch they were pitching, yeah. you know, and it's like, is the weather going to affect that? Probably not, but you know, unless it's super windy, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so they're gonna. I think they're gonna look to th- a lot of wide receiver screens, a lot of like settle for. You know, I the Chiefs defense doesn't allow teams to get a whole lot of big hit plays. And the Dolphins is a big hit team, so I think what are they going to settle for? You know, are they going to settle for you know short short outs to Waddle and and Tyreek and let them run it from that spot? You know, I think that's what it's going to eventually. They're going to do early a lot of pitching, a lot of short passing to try to to bring that defense up and then try to hit a, a long play off a of play action. But you know, it I love it. It's it's playoff football. We're here, wild card weekend, and you know. Sure, the Chiefs kind of limped themselves into the playoffs, 
but it's like, do they have that next gear? They have the pedigree. Yeah. They have the pedigree. Mm-hmm. They have the coach. They have the quarterback. Now can they can they knock it up a notch? I I don't think you're going to see something like the 2019 or 2020 Chiefs offense. Like that's just not all of a sudden going to appear. Yeah. Right. But you know, can they can they take care of the ball? Mm-hmm. Can they control the ball? Can they keep the ball? You know, out of Tua and Tyreek's hands. You know, it, it's almost like you play the Dolphins. Like everybody tried to play the Chiefs. Like yeah. if they're on the sidelines, they can't beat you. And so, uh, you know, win the time of possession, win the turnover battle. And I think the Chiefs, you know, I think they, they eke this away. Something like, you know, 2017, something in that area, I think is, you know, 2117 maybe. I think that's what you're looking at on Saturday. You know, I am very, very curious how the fourth down play calling is going to be. Because if you've got wind gusts and it's cold and it's kicking a brick, I mean, what happens if you approach a fourth and six? from like the, well, let's say the 40-yard line of your opponent. You, Andy Reid, almost every single time in normal weather, would send Harrison Butker out there because he can make it from 57. I think Mike McDaniel has always been a very aggressive coach, so I think Miami, in any situation where it's fourth and five and in, they're probably going to go for it, as long as they're near midfield. Uh, just because I think in this game, you can play, I think, the low-scoring mentality. like You can you know punt it back sometimes where you know if it's, seven to six in the third quarter and you're at midfield maybe instead of giving somebody short field you punt it and try to pin them inside the five because they're not going to go the full length but when things get tight late uh when it's maybe in the teens the scoring wise i would not be shocked to see both these coaches really start putting faith in their offense and convert that fourth down but chiefs and dolphins saturday night at arrowhead stadium that is tomorrow wind chill is supposed to be negative 24 at kickoff one of the coldest games in NFL history. Maybe down the road we'll have a nickname for this game, depending how exciting it really is. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, going to go over those massive coaching changes that happened yesterday. We didn't get a chance to talk about it on Thursday, but we need to dive into Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and, of course, Nick Saban. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. We are back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, we ran out of time yesterday before we had the chance to give our thoughts on Pete Carroll moving on from Seattle. Nick Saban announcing he was retiring from coaching. And Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots parting ways after, what was it, 24, 25 seasons? A ridiculous stretch for Bill Belichick, but he still intends to coach. So there will be Bill Belichick coaching in another, no, what does he wear, that uh, sweatshirt with the sleeves off? The hoodie? The the hoodie. The hoodie. It's going to be a different logo next season, as I'm sure somebody like in Atlanta, uh, somebody like in L.A., Raiders, uh, they're going to be giving him a call to replace uh, their current head coach. And maybe uh, some other teams stay in-house. New England certainly did. They promoted Jared Mayo, which this was interesting to me. I don't know if you saw this, but in his contract, it was basically said that he would be the head coach whenever Belichick decided to retire. Like, it was handpicked. Like, Belichick handpicked Jared Mayo, who, one, becomes the first African-American head coach in New England Patriots history. He's also the youngest NFL head coach ever, just 37 years old. And that does feel 
very much like a Patriot move, to be honest with you. I mean, the way they've handled the NFL draft over the last couple of years is taking guys that was like, oh, really? I feel like you could have gone with, with a bigger home run pick. Like, I'm not saying Jared Mayo is going to be a bad head coach, but to replace Bill Belichick, a guy with no head coaching experience, they must really think highly of Jared Mayo in that building. But the youngest NFL head coach is going to be in Foxborough next season as Bill Belichick parts ways, and a day later, Jared Mayo, the linebackers coach, I believe it was, in New England, was promoted to the head coaching role. As for Pete Carroll, uh, kind of a, a weird exit in Seattle. It was, hey, we're going to part ways, but we want you to maybe be a part of the front office if you would like to. Which, for Pete Carroll, I don't think that he's accepted a job yet. I wonder if he was truly blindsided. I mean, Pete Carroll is the oldest head coach in the NFL. He doesn't look like it and doesn't move like it. But I think he's 73. So I thought that the final years of his coaching career were coming to an end. But Seattle, uh, even after making the playoffs last year with Geno Smith falling a, a game short this year, they want to go find somebody else. And I really don't know who Seattle would be looking at right now. I mean, now that Mike Vrabel wasn't even a candidate for the New England job, maybe they go with Mike Vrabel, change their identity a little bit. But Pete Carroll no longer going to be the coach in Seattle. Now we'll see if he still wants to coach. Maybe not even in the NFL, but at the college level. He's done it before. He's done it very successfully at the college level. But also the game has changed a lot since he last coached there. And then, of course, the... Maybe the biggest news of, of all three of those guys, depending if you're a college fan or an NFL fan, Nick Saban announcing that he was retiring from college football, ending the greatest run in, I would say, college sports history. Maybe next to John Wooden's run at UCLA, nobody is ever going to accomplish what Nick Saban did at Alabama, which is why it's kind of daunting for the next coach to step in there, even if it is a, a prominent head coach, one that's won a national championship, you are taking over the greatest dynasty that has ever played the sport. Nobody's going to come close to that again. Not in current day college football. And not like that's diminishing what Alabama did. They won back in the early 2010s, the mid-2010s, and the late 2010s. And the 2020s, for that matter. They never stopped winning under Nick Saban. This, this was crazy to me when he took over in 2007 I think it was they went seven and six since that year over 15 years Alabama has not had anything less than a double digit win season think about the teams here locally right Missouri just notched the double digit win season Kansas was one win away K-State won a double di or had a double digit win season last year and think about how much that meant to that fan base, KU, K-State, and Missouri, either getting close to 10 wins or actually achieving it, Alabama did it without even blinking, which is why Nick Saban will go down as the greatest college football coach ever and really never be challenged, in my opinion. I don't think anybody is going to have a run like he did. I don't think anybody is going to strike fear in people the way Alabama did for years. You know, Georgia had a great two-year stretch. They won back-to-back -back national titles, beat the brains out of TCU last year by 58. Oh, they had beaten Alabama the year before. This year didn't even get in the college football playoffs. Like, Alabama would just find a way to get in that national title game all the time. He won six national championships. 
six. I believe that's right. At least I saw, I think, six of the, how many years he was in, 12 of them or something like that? Let me make sure I can get these right because I don't want to get the wrong number out there. But I believe it was between four and six national championships, which checks out, sounds about right. The fact I'm even questioning that is kind of foolish to begin with. So he won his first in 2009, won one in 11, 12, so there's three. Um, Then he won... In 2015, there's four. One in 17, there's five. And yet, one in 2020, there's six. Six national championships. That is, for some programs, a lifetime's worth. I mean, look look in college basketball, college football, the banners in some arenas. Like, being a Kansas guy, you look up in the rafters at Allen Fieldhouse, there's the two banners from the 20s. There's the banners from the 52 season, the 88 season, the 08 season, and the 2022 season. They're kind of spread out, right? Now, college basketball, I think, is a lot harder to win a national championship because 30-plus games in a season, then there's conference tournaments, and there's the NCAA tournament. It's a crapshoot. For college football, you win 12 games. It used to be, oh, you're just in the national championship. So harder to do, but still, since the 2000s, right? Alabama's put this all together, really, since the 2010s. They've brought in six national championships. Nobody's ever going to have a run like that again. And it's kind of like for Belichick, too. I mean, Andy Reid, even if he wins this year, which kind of an outside shot, outside chance to do so, that would give him three. He's still three more away from tying Belichick. And I know people are going to... You know, question if Belichick really is the go. There's people that that do that just for the sake of the argument because, oh, he was only really good because of Brady, and Brady had the same knock that, oh, he could only ever win with Belichick, and then he won in Tampa Bay. So Belichick probably is looking for the same thing and leaving Foxborough for the first time in two-plus decades. To me, though, with both of those coaches, I'm sorry I can't really include Pete Carroll in this, even though Pete Carroll had success both at the college level and the NFL level. One of three coaches to win both a Natty yeah. and the Super Bowl. <laughs> and yet know. he's like the the third fiddle here right. or whatever That's you what, want to call it. I said that yesterday. It's like yeah. He just kind of got played in the back row. Hey, why don't you go sit down there, Pete? You it's know? unfortunate, yeah, that Belichick <laughs> and Saban, a day right. apart, or actually hours yes. apart from each other, uh, they announced that they're moving hours, on. Yeah, 12 hours. <laughs> and... Man, I, I mean, I, I I think, you know, in this situation in Kansas City, to tie it all back in for the Belichick argument, you know, Andy Reid, if he wins, is going to be one of the most decorated head coaches of all time. And where Andy Reid, even before Kansas City, he won a lot in Philly. He never won a Super Bowl, but he won a lot. You know, I thought it was interesting that Nick Wright the other day said on ESPN that if Kansas City wins it, One, it will be the greatest five-year stretch in NFL history because it rivals right now that five-year stretch that New England had the tail end of Tom Brady's career because of divisional championships, um, AFC Conference Championships appearances, Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins, overall wins and losses. It would be the greatest five-year stretch in history. And then it raises the question of, is Andy Reid actually the greatest head coach of all time, and not Belichick. I'm not going to go as far to say that. He simply just said it could bring up the conversation more than it really can right now. 
Because the the thing with the the quarterback situation, right? The goat talk for quarterback. Brady's got it right now because he, he's got seven rings. It could be Mahomes in the future. He's already got two, but he's also got what thirteen more years to get five more. And when you stretch that out, right? Well, that's going to be still a long shot, but it's possible. Whereas Andy Reid, who knows how much longer he's got to coach? He's not getting six. Let's be honest. He would have to win <laughs> four in a row, which is not going to happen. At the end of the day, though, uh, these are two, I'm going to say three. I keep trying to knock Pete Carroll here. These are three coaches that changed the sport forever, and some of them are never going to be rivaled. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about two goats. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, literally greatest mm-hmm. ever. I mean, I think Belichick, honestly, he's staying around because he does have a lot to prove in terms of yeah. winning without Brady. I yes. think that's sitting... But also, he is only 26, 27 wins away from breaking Don Shula's yep. career wins for the NFL. Shula sits at 328. Belichick has 302. So I think that, that record's a big deal to him. Yeah. But so, I mean, it's hard to say a guy with seven, six championships, Belichick, six or seven. He's Bra- at six. Brady's he's, at seven. Yeah, Brady's yeah. at seven. He's at six. Six championships and the most wins of all time. Yeah. You can't question it. I mean, you can have a discussion. Yeah, but how do you argue the facts? You know, those are the numbers. So, I mean, yeah, it's you're talking about two of the greatest of all time. I mean, Saban, Saban is ridiculous. What he did at Alabama, like you said, will never be touched. And like, you feel bad for whoever has to follow Saban. (laughs) Except for their their wallet. Yeah, yeah, going to be a hefty contract. But you're exactly right. It's crazy. It's crazy. There's some, there's, I mean, listen to this stat. All right. So the AP's been, it debuted in 1936, mm-hmm. right? So the most weeks at number one in the AP, the most weeks, Nick Saban with 109, right? Ohio State second. The program yeah. Ohio State is yeah. second with 105. Wow. I'm talking about the, yeah, history, the history of, of Ohio, Ohio State. State, 105 weeks at number one. Nick Saban, 109 in his span at Alabama. I mean, this year was the first year since 07 that Alabama didn't spend time at number one. Yeah. I mean, like, just think about that. You know, second, Oklahoma Mm -hmm. with 101 weeks at number one in the AP. Yeah. Like, Nick Saban has more than the whole program, the history of those two programs. That's unbelievable. It's those are crazy numbers. I thought uh, what was kind of funny, I, I was brought, the, or this was brought up to me yesterday. Uh, thing about here locally w- with KU, Missouri, K State, and the rivalry between all three, and how for the first time in a long time this year, like all three teams had damn good years. Like you couldn't really mock anybody. What were you going to mock Missouri about losing to LSU and, and losing to Georgia? No. Uh, what are you going to knock Kansas for winning the guaranteed rate bowl after they had 15 years of futility? No, not really. You going to knock Kansas State for winning nine games and and winning the Pop Tarts Bowl? No, not really. But it's funny that this fan base, all these fan bases, kind of poke fun at each other. It's like I remember when KU had the first bowl game and Missouri and Kansas State fans were like, 
they were like, oh, uh, the guaranteed rate bowl. Oh, congratulations on that win. That, that's real impressive, winning the guaranteed rate bowl. And Canes fans were like, oh, it's a bowl win. Right. And then K-State, it was like, oh, the Pop-Tarts bowl. Oh, oh, you played NC State with a lot of guys sitting out. And Missouri, same thing. It was like, oh, if Missouri would have actually played Ohio State, yeah. they would have won. And I thought to myself yesterday, I go, think about Auburn fans for the last 15 years. What could you make fun of Alabama for other than the kick six? Six national championships. Could you imagine here, Jake, if one of those schools had a run of dominance football-wise like that? You would never be able to criticize them, ever. And how frustrating. And Auburn and Alabama, Tuscaloosa and uh, where it, yeah, it's just Auburn. Yeah, so I was going to say Tuscaloosa and Auburn are damn close to each other. So you are, and it's a very blood-hatred rivalry. I could not imagine seeing my rival have that much success year in, year out. Down years at Alabama really was last year, winning 10 or 11 games and winning the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. That was like a, that's a disgusting year. Well, the most losses Saban ever had in the season was three. Three. And he did that one time. One time he it, lost three games in a season. I it, didn't even it, know it, how they're, you... they're, they're, It's outrageous. I mean, we, we've just witnessed the greatest era and the greatest coach in college football history. And, and now brings up the question, right? We know Jared Mayo's taking over in New England. Seattle is still TBD for Alabama. L- listen, Alabama has some donors that will give you as much money as you could ever dream of. Uh, you are never going to struggle recruiting. Transfer portal guys are going to go to Alabama. You're going to coach in one of the most unbelievable venues in college sports, Bryant-Denny Stadium. But here's also the other scary thing. One, you will never live up to those expectations. It's just undeniable. Two, think about the bar that has been set. I I just said expectation, but the bare minimum is winning 10 games at Alabama. Who out there right now can do that year in and year out? Other than who? Jim Harbaugh? Kirby Smart? Like, who can who can do that right now? Harbaugh's not going to Alabama. And Kirby Smart, I don't think, is going laterally. It, it just feels like this is going to be a job for a, a Dabo Swinney who is never going to live up to that. You know, I, I don't think that would be the most perfect fit. Dan Lanning already turned down the job, wants to stay at Oregon because he's smart. At Oregon, they'll, they'll build you a statue. They, they are a great football program. It's not Alabama. It's not Alabama and the SEC. And these donors are going to try to pay somebody the most money any college head coach has ever been given to take over the reins. But it's also a daunting job. Think about how long the leash is, too. What if in year one at Alabama you go 9-4 and four or 9-3? and three? Okay, terrible year for Alabama. Year two, you win nine again. I'm not saying they'd be fired, but that seat would be kind of hot. I think that seat would be a little bit hot because every Alabama fan wants the next guy to take over what Saban did and continue to win 11 and 12 every single year. By the way, Harbaugh, phenomenal coach, right? In 2020, weird year, granted. Yeah, it was a weird year, but... But they still went 2-4. and four. They were terrible, yeah. Right? They still went 2-4 and four in 2017, 8-5, and five, right? Like, that's... And we're talking, like, Harbaugh is mm-hmm. great. One of the greatest college coaches. Great. Right yeah. Right? And he still had, like, that, like, that's, like, that 
is yeah. you know that's the next closest. That's the next closest guy. <laughs> it's like it doesn't even touch it. And it's also hilarious to think too. I keep tying it back locally here, like Eli Drinkwitz, Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman, all right now considered to be great college head coaches. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned this, we were talking about the AP poll. Congratulations yeah. to all three schools. Yes, all three finished in, inside the, the mm-hmm. top, which is a big deal when big you finish deal, yes. in the, inside the top, the final top twenty five. Yeah. Kansas finished twenty third. Kansas State finished eighteenth, and then the Missouri Tigers ended their season at eighth in the AP. Like that is phenomenal. All Massive. three, all three schools finished in the top twenty-five, and it, like that's a big deal. That's a yeah. big deal. But like that, Alabama is like top ten every mm-hmm. year, every year. There was this other crazy <laughs> Nick Saban stat I found out, and ever since he took over, I think it was let's not count that first year for Saban, but it was he's won six national championships. And the amount of games in which Alabama was an underdog in his entire time there, I think, was 11. By the way, he's won six national championships at Alabama. Alabama more. He won LSU. I mean, like, think about that. He won at LSU and then went to Alabama and won six. If it was any other program, too, because LSU after Saban won with Les Miles. They also won uh, with Ed Orgeron. So I'm not going to say starved fan base, but I wonder what LSU fans think. That, man, this could have been us. We could have been the we want LSU and not we want Bama. Alabama was good. They had nowhere near the reputation before Saban got there. Like, I'm sure Michigan State fans are like, man, what if Saban never wanted to leave and coach the Spartans in the Big Ten? Are we Are we the, the Michigan right now? Are we the Ohio State? I'm sure it, it's brought up in question because what Saban did at Alabama is not repeatable. Absolutely not repeatable. No matter how good you think your coach is, they will never be Nick Saban. And there's really nothing you can, like, knock him with. You know, sometimes in, uh, you know, we always do these debates, all things sports, right? The Jordan-LeBron debate. You go, oh, well, if if you're a supporter of Jordan, it's like, well, Jordan won six national championships. Or not national championships, excuse me, NBA Finals championships. You know, you you win six of those. But then there's the argument of, oh, well, it was in that day and time. For LeBron, the knock is he hasn't won as many as Jordan, but it's a different era. It's maybe harder to win. There's more talent. There's always that debate. In the NFL, right, I'm sure when you compare Belichick and Don Shula, it's like Don Shula won a lot, different era. Like Saban won all of his national championships in a time period where you can't really refute it. Like, are we really going to sit here and say college football, aside from the money part of it, the NIL deals, is drastically different from 2015 to now? No. No. He won at a couple different points in time where they had to adapt. They had to win in unique circumstances. And and that, to me, is so wildly impressive and the fact that Alabama now forever is going to have this this aura around them that you just can't touch that. You, you can't even Georgia beating them in the national championship, winning back to back years. And it's like, eh, well, Georgia wasn't here this year. I've already forgotten yeah, about do that. that for another eight years. Yeah. It, I mean, here, listen to this number. He lost 29 games in his time at Alabama. That, that is 29 games, right? Had 44 first round draft picks in the NFL. 44. Like he had more he had more players taken in the first round of the NFL than he did losses by a widespread. And what's funny too is I think every college football fan, not just Alabama fans, could like pinpoint those losses, like remember those losses happening. Whereas around the country, I couldn't tell you 
who Ohio State lost to back in 2017. I guarantee you I could probably go through. Like, if you set a game, it was like Alabama lost to so-and-so. Like, oh, I remember that game. Because it was earth-shattering when they lost. Like, Johnny Menzel made a name for himself by beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa. If he doesn't, I'm sure we still consider him to be one of the greatest and most electrifying college quarterbacks because he was a freshman doing it. No, he became Johnny Football by doing it. He became Johnny Football because of that (laughs) game. He got the nickname Johnny Football because of that game. Uh, The kick six, of course the way it ended was uh, very memorable for everybody watching. You remember that play, even if it wasn't Auburn, you remember it. Or if it wasn't Alabama, you remember it. But because it was Alabama, different element. You just beat Alabama. Georgia beating them in the national championship was bigger because it was Alabama. Uh, Clemson winning because it was Alabama. You know, across the board, we remember all these things. I even remember last year and the Sugar Bowl. Like, the K-State fans I knew, it was like, if you beat Alabama, even though they have guys sitting out, it is the most unbelievable thing I think you could accomplish in sport, at least college-wise. Like, there's no equivalent right now in college basketball to Alabama. Again, different sport, harder to win a national championship. But, like, when was the last time we had a repeat winner? It was Florida? Yeah, it was Florida with Billy Donovan. Since then, we've had great stretches, great runs. There's no... I mean, for instance, Kansas, who you could say right now is one of those blue blood programs, of course. I'm not going to say sarcastically. They lost to UCF the other night. UCF on the road. UConn has lost weird games this year. Last year's national championship winner. Alabama was just different. New England and the Belichick run different. And I'm sorry we didn't give a lot of love to Pete Carroll here. What Pete Carroll did was very impressive. Uh, He made Seattle one of the most relevant franchises, I would say, of the 2010s. The Legion of Boom. Uh, Lumen Field had the loudest stadium in the world at one point. They won a Super Bowl. They lost another in crushing fashion. And maybe that is always going to keep Pete Carroll down a little bit. I know he thinks that as well. I mean, passing the ball and it's, you know, had Marshawn Lynch, all of that. That's going to live with him forever, but it doesn't take away the coach that he was, and it certainly doesn't take away the coach that he was at USC. I thought it was interesting, too, one more thing on the Belichick, kind of to jump around as much as we can in the final two minutes or so. The last three coaches in New England, Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and now Jared Mayo. Talk about elite company. I'm sure he loves the position he's in. I mean, who wouldn't love to be the youngest head coach in the NFL? And it's good, too that the Patriots have sucked for back-to-back years, so it's not like he's taking over right. a 12-win team. I think that makes it. I think that's a big deal. I yes. think that makes it a lot easier because there's a rebuild that's understood here. Yes, and, and there's not much talent on that team. It's going to have to be a complete tear-down rebuild process. We're going to be going back to the New England days before Brady. I mean, hell, even before Bledsoe, like right. when New England was really, really bad. We're going back to those days. But if Jared Mayo can turn it around... All more power to him, man. I, I I love the the new blood in the NFL, and really cool for Bill Belichick and Jared Mayo that that was in a contract. Like that never came out. That never came out until today that it was like he was going to be the next head coach. You don't even have to interview. So good for Jared Mayo. Good for the Patriots. Good for Nick Saban going off into the sunset. Of course, not winning the national championship, but. 
he's gotten his respect. You don't need to, to earn anything else at that level. And Pete Carroll, hopefully he can coach again because those are all three great coaches. One of them, though, we know for a fact is not going to be coaching anymore. Well, there is Ray Charles. That'll do it for the week on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. You have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday about that Chiefs and Dolphins game, Kansas City. No.